Go ahead and grab your Bibles and uh, get your notebook out where you can jot down some scriptures, two or three we're going to look up. Most of them I have on the screen for us. We'll have a good time tonight. I started with you last Wednesday night talking about walking in newness of life, and we're going to go back to that scripture. Amen. And tonight I want to talk to you about just coming alive in yourself through Jesus, coming alive in Jesus. Amen. Look, at the, look on the screen, Romans chapter 6, verse 4, and I thought it's so neat because we're going to get into some things about having to... Kind of something that we mentioned Sunday. You remember when I told you the story about Charles, the man that was the alcoholic that yes. found Amen. the church where the doctor had told him, you know, the only, only help he had was Jesus. Anybody remember Amen. that? Yes. Amen. Yeah. Amen. And uh, that total surrender, and he learned from that, the more he surrendered of his life. He learned it from that doctor. He said, the more that I surrender my life to Jesus, the more power that I have. The less I surrender, the less power that I have. Amen. The more we reserve of ourselves for ourselves, the less strength that we actually have to overcome life. And so I, I thought it was kind of cool because we're going to get into a little bit of that tonight and what we're talking about. And Susan and I don't talk about these things much uh, at all tonight. We certainly didn't. And I thought it was neat we sang that song about you can have it all, Lord. Just, just have it all. Because yes. if you don't, you don't, you don't see much of him. You just see a lot of you. Exactly. And, uh, and, and you and I don't make a good Savior on our own. You know, we don't, we don't have, it's not our power. You never, you never prayed for anyone that was touched by your power right. in the sense of what you've generated, but what we've received from him. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight. Romans chapter six, verse four. Therefore, we're buried with him. Talking about our relationship. Now, was what Jesus experienced, he experienced for us. So we experienced it in him. Right. We used to sing that song, were you there when they crucified the Lord? You know what the answer to that is? Yes, you were. You hung on that cross in him. And that's why Paul, the Apostle Paul, had this moment when that revelation hit him because he talks about it in Galatians 2. We're going to finish with that tonight, Galatians chapter 2. But he had that moment where he saw the cross just like every one of us have. Now, see, Paul wasn't there when they crucified Jesus on the cross. He was maybe, he was alive, I don't, you know, I mean, that's, that's a given, but he wasn't there when that took place in Jerusalem. Maybe he was still in Tarsus. Maybe he was still sitting under the feet of Gamal, but he wasn't there at that crucifixion. He doesn't ever talk about that, but he saw the cross the same way you and I have seen the cross. You, you've seen it in your spirit. Yeah. You know, the, and the closer, I'm not talking about a movie, you know, and all that's wonderful to help us, you know, but I'm just talking about you've seen him on that cross in your spirit. Amen. And that's what happened. Paul saw him on the cross, saw Jesus on the cross, just like you and I do in our spirit. And then the second time that Paul looked, he saw himself hanging there. Uh -oh. And that's why he says in Galatians 2, I was crucified yeah, with Christ. Yeah, yeah. Amen. And that was a revelation from his heart Amen. when he saw that. And, and when you start learning that, you swap your life for his life. And that's where we're going to end up tonight. But let's think of it like this. He's, because he swapped his life for ours. Right. That's why Amen. we can do it. I'm going to say that again. We're going, to, we're going to talk about how that our job every day or our assignment, our responsibility is to make sure that we're swapping our life yes. for his life. Yes. Amen. Because, and we can do that because he swapped his life for ours. And that's, that's what we're reading about here in the first part of this. And all previous verses around it, I'm not reading anything other than verse 4 here. But it says, we're buried with him by baptism into death. That like as Christ was raised from the dead. Now watch this because it's talking about you right here now. It says, like as Christ was raised up from the dead by, how, how was he raised from the dead? By the glory of the Father. You could, you could say by the extreme power of God. Now, watch what it says about you and I. It says, just like Jesus was raised up from the dead by the power of God, by the glory of the Father, even so, by that same resurrection glory, we're supposed to walk in newness of life. Amen. 
In other words, the same, I know I talked to you about this a week ago, but it's been a week ago, so it's good to go back over. The same energy. Now, I'm trying to find the right word, and I haven't found one that's just describing it like I want to. It, the best word is glory, if you understand what it means, the glory of God. Yes. The glory of God will cause buildings to shake. It'll cause chains yes. to come off people's yes. hands and feet. Doors of a prison to open. The glory of God resurrected Tabitha from the dead. The glory through Peter. The Lord. The glory of God resurrected Jairus's little daughter from the dead, and that same glory resurrected Jesus from the dead. Now he said that glory. Now think about. It, I'm just using energy because it's a heavenly energy. The divine heavenly energy. That's glory. I'm trying to describe glory. The divine energy of God Himself that resurrected Jesus is what is. Supposed to work in you on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. See, a lot of people are waiting for resurrection power when we die and then one day we're going to be resurrected. And I understand that. That's going to be true. But Paul talks about a resurrection that took place inside while we're still in the body. While I'm still alive. But let's look at it again with that in mind. Now, just the last part. That just like Christ was raised up from the dead, how by this divine energy of heaven, we're supposed to walk every day in a newness of life. The ability... The ability to walk in that newness of life is the resurrection power that raised Jesus from the dead. Amen. Amen. Now, I, you know, I mentioned, well, Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. We mentioned Jairus' daughter. We mentioned Tabitha when Peter raised him from the dead. If there was a different degree of power to raise somebody from the dead, would you agree? I'm, I'm just saying, if there, if there was a different degree of resurrecting power, wouldn't you agree that God had the best one when he raised Jesus from the dead? Yeah, I mean, he had, to, he had to do more than, really he had to do more for Jesus to resurrect him than he did for Tabitha or than he did for Jairus' daughter or that he did for anybody in the Bible when you talk about, you know, resurrection. He had to do more for Jesus because Jesus was there with all of our sins not belonging in heaven until that price was paid for. Amen. And God raised him up. So if that resurrection is different, it would have to be a better one in Jesus. I'm not, I'm not saying there is. It's probably the same degree, but I'm just saying if there's a greater power, God certainly reserved that to raise, resurrect Jesus. Amen. And that's what's available in you Monday, Amen. Tuesday, Wednesday. Amen. Think that's about it, every day of the life. Amen. That means when you're washing dishes, there's resurrection power in you. What does that mean, Brother James? Well, I'm, not, I'm just talking now. I'm just rambling for a minute. But if, what does that mean while I'm washing dishes, the resurrection power? That means you need to plan something more than getting the dishes washed today. <laughs> Because God didn't just anoint you to get the dishes washed. So that right. takes a special anointing. Amen. Right? Amen. He's got more for your life plan. That's why we're talking about walking in newness of life. How we walk out and carry our life every day. Therefore, we're buried with him in baptism. But we're resurrected right now. Not going to be. Just notice in the tenses there. We're not going to one day walk in newness of life. We're enabled by that same resurrection power because that's in us. Walking in newness of life, how do we do it? Through the presence of God. So look at these other translations. I gave these to you last week. The Phillips says we're to rise to life on a new plane altogether. Living differently than the average person around us. The believer. Amen. The believer ought to be walking on a new plane altogether. Don't ever live your life common. Don't ever expect common. Average. I hate the word average. Uh -oh. I'm, do you? I mean, you know, I, I don't like it. I, I don't like an average response in church. I don't like anything average. I think I read one time that the average person, you know, average family has 2.3 children. Who wants 0.3 of a child? I mean, I don't like average. Do you like average? I don't like anything about average. There's another word for it. It's moderate. That's, that's the word for average, to live moderate. 
And, and I don't think that's the way God wants us to be. The Bible says that He's pouring out the latter rain on us without measure, without moderacy to it. So He says we're supposed to rise to a life on a new plane altogether now, right now, today. Not after we go to heaven. Please understand what I'm talking about. This is the way we live our life today. The Living Bible then says you were given His wonderful new life to enjoy. The same life that's in Him's in us. And then the Passion Translation, I really like this. It says, now I underlined some words for it. Maybe this would get some response here. It says, we have been co-resurrected. Notice it doesn't say, now please, I'm trying to get you to understand what he's talking about. It doesn't say one day we're going to be co-resurrected. Bro James, are you preaching against the resurrection? No, 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 no. I believe that with all my heart. But yet it's what we're supposed to be living right now that he's talking about in this epistle. This is what's going on right now. We have been, have been, already have been co-resurrected with him so that we could be empowered to walk in the freshness of new life. Now, now this new life doesn't just mean it's a spring day and everything feels nice and rosy and that kind of thing. But we're talking about the same resurrection power that Jesus operated in day in and day out when he ministered to people. God's got us here for a purpose. I'm telling you, we, we think about, boy, people are going to be really in trouble when Jesus comes back and they hadn't accepted him. You know, I agree with you, but Christians are going to be in real trouble when they haven't operated in resurrection power and he gave you all these years to do something with it. I know good and well enough about life that not one of us can say that we never have opportunity to use that resurrection power to help somebody. You have to live under a rock to not run into people that need that resurrection power that's in you. So we're talking about being raised from the dead, resurrected. What does it mean to be resurrected? Literally, it translates, we've been co-resurrected. It means to be brought back to life with him. What life? The Adam, the life that Adam lost. That's what Jesus called to be, calls to be resurrected back into us. How does that happen? When we choose to walk with God. That's why we're talking about walk in newness of life. Go back to the King James Version. See, look at the last, that we should now walk in a newness of life, a new way of living as believers, a new level, a new level of life to be brought back to what really is God's expectation of life. Well, and then we talked about last week, then when we do that and accept that, then that requires that we walk by faith, not by sight. Amen. Because to walk in a new area of life, that means I have to walk different than what the situations or circumstances right. around me are dictating That's for my good. life to be. You know, somewhere, I mean, you have to break free of things. I mean, because the world has worked on you since the day you were born to instill its ideas in you. You know, we talk about getting our mind renewed to the Word of God. Well, the world's been trying to renew us to their way of thinking since the day you were born. I mean, you've had school teachers do it. You've had parents do it, maybe. You've had uh, elders do it in your life. You've had co-workers and everything else and everybody. And, and so you start having these expectations about how life is supposed to pan out. And that's why we spent some weeks talking about living long and finishing strong because if you don't keep that mentality before you, you just think, well, it's just the, you know, the way life goes, you know, I'm just getting older and I, I shouldn't be able to run. I read something just today. I, I ran across something where somebody said, when you get older, you don't walk as well. You don't run as well. You don't do these things as well. Well, that's what you believe. Jesse DePlantis, who, who has always been a big runner, you know, jogging and that kind of thing. And, and he's always been pretty big about that. He said, anyway, and this, was, this must have been when he was in his probably 30s. I don't know. You'd have to ask him, you know, when he comes. But, I mean, maybe Amen. 30s or something like that. He, he had, had ran so many marathons, he was running diamond, what is that called in, in Hawaii? Diamond head. diamond head. And he was running that, which is an uphill climb, you know, and some big marathon they were running. And he went to run that, wanted to be involved in that, and said he was running. And, and he said he was giving out. And he said, I felt like I was going to die. Now, he was somewhere around his 30s. 
He said, I felt like I was going to die and that I couldn't take any more steps. And all of a sudden, I heard somebody behind me gaining on me like this. And he thought, my goodness, here comes some young whippersnapper, and I'm just about to die. You know, I can't, I can't make another step. And he said, when it passed me, it ended up being a man that was around in his 80s saying, come on, boy, you can make it, you can make it. And the man just went on off. Yeah. And so what, you know, you have to choose what you're going to believe and you have to choose what God said about you to be true. If you're going to walk in this, not just in health, that's just one thing I'm trying to get across to you, but I'm talking about in resurrection power that Paul was talking about when he said, I want to know him. I'm going to show you. I've got to show you that. Turn with me right quick. Take a little side note. And it may be our main journey tonight, but let's look at it. The, the, um, turn to Philippians. I think it's Colossians, but Philippians will have you so close. I'll let you know when I get there. All right. Philippians is right. Look at Philippians chapter 3. Praise God. Walking in newness of life. Now, what does he mean by that? He's talking about right now, how we live, running into people that need a miracle, believing God with them, putting our faith out there. That situation, you know, having a prayer, offering a prayer with the expectation that God answers your prayers. Well, look at this. Now, this is Paul talking, and he's talking about his credentials. Start back there in the verse, uh, fourth verse. Well, Verse 4, that I might also have confidence in the flesh, my fleshly accomplishments. He said, I, this is chapter 3. Did I tell you that? Yes. Chapter 3, verse 4. He said, I've got a lot of things I could be confident about in my own natural accomplishments. If any man thinks other than this, wherever he might trust in the Lord, I've got more to you know, be thankful for. Because I was, for example, he said, verse 5, I was circumcised the eighth day. In other words, I followed the religious traditions. I was of the stock of Israel. I'm an Israelite. Of the tribe of Benjamin. I was a Hebrew of the Hebrews and is touching the law as a Baptist. You know, I, I just use that because a Pharisee meant I was, you know, fundamental. I believed in the fundamentalists like a good Baptist would be. He said I was good uh, in my doctrine, in other words. Concerning, verse 6, concerning zeal, I amend in church. Uh, I had a lot of zeal. I had so much zeal, he said, I persecuted the church. Touching the righteousness, because I thought the church was wrong, you know. So he said, I thought I was doing God a favor. You've read that. He said, touching the righteousness, which is the law. He said, man, I was blameless. I kept the law. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. I gave that accomplishment up so that I could take Christ because mine was nothing compared to what he's done for me and who he's made me. Yea, doubtless, I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all these things, all these wonderful credentials I just told you about, I count them as dung, manure. I, I count them as a, as a cesspool. But dung that I may win Christ. I'm after Christ, so none of my accomplishments mean anything. He said, here's what I want. Now watch this, verse 9. I want to be found in Him. And, and I always like to point out this. When Paul said this, he wasn't a brand new Christian. You understand what I'm saying? He'd been saved for a long time. He's raised the dead himself. He's done miracles, had performed miracles. He's been to heaven. He's done all kinds of things. He is not a brand new Christian. And he said, and I've got one goal on me today, and that's this, I want to be found in him. Amen. And look, he keeps going. I, I want to be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, so that I may know him. Paul, what do you say? mean you want to know him? You already know him. You know him better than anybody else. He said, not, not like I want to know him. There's more of him to be known. I want to know him and the power of his resurrection 
and the fellowship of his sufferings, that means putting up with the same sufferings that Jesus went through, people persecuting him. I want to be made conformable unto his death if by any means. Now, this is where Christians miss this part right here, and I want to read it real slow. Do you have the Amplified open, Susan? You Amplified? All right, have it ready so you can point to this 12th verse for me in just a minute. He said, if by any means, verse 11, if by any means, or in other words, this is my number one goal, that I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Not as though I'd already attained it, but I'm, I'm after, I'm pressing into it. Now look up here and let's settle on that verse 11 just a minute. I want to attain the resurrection of the dead. Well, most Christians preach, and when you hear that, what they think, oh yeah, Paul's saying I want to live in such a way that one day Jesus is going to resurrect me and take me to heaven. And that's, I've heard sermons on that from that verse. But listen to it out of this Amplified Bible. Now this is not the first time I've ever read it to you, so just, but you've heard it, but listen. Paul said, what I'm after, that is if it's possible, I want to attain to the spiritual and moral resurrection that lifts me out from among the dead even while I'm in the body. He's not talking about when I'm, I'm passed from my body and my body's laying in the grave one day. Going to, he's not talking about a resurrection then. That's, talking about, that's another place in the scripture. But he's talking about I want to experience the resurrection of Jesus that lifts me out of this natural way of living while I'm in this physical body so that I can live in resurrection power right now. If you understood that that's what Smith Wigglesworth had worked so hard to obtain, that very thing, and never satisfied on the level you're on, like, okay, right. I've got all of God there is. Mm-mm. Always realize there's more. Right. And this is what Paul was giving. But Wigglesworth made a statement that you would not understand it unless you understood what we just read there in the Amplified Bible that Paul was saying, that there's so much resurrection power, I want to know him. I, I'm going to say it like this, what Paul was saying, I want to know him more today than I did yesterday. Yeah. I want to know, I want to get deeper in him tomorrow than I've ever been in my life. I want to keep, you know, every day. And here's what Wigglesworth said. Wigglesworth preaching under the power of God. Now for him, it wasn't sermons, weren't just sermons. It was a place to minister and then minister to people and, and, and people's lives were changed. We ought to expect that all the time in our services. Here's what Wigglesworth said. He said, now you want to understand this unless you understand what Paul meant of this resurrection power. Wigglesworth said, give me just five more minutes under that anointing of God. The anointing I get under when I'm ministering the Spirit to people. He said, just give me five more minutes under that anointing of God. He said, I'd rather have five more minutes under that anointing than to give me the world with a fence around it. What is he talking about? Because that's, that's eternity in, in my bones. That's the power of God shut up in my life. A meager Christian life doesn't exist in the Bible. No such thing as a meager, moderate Christian life, just, you know, kind of abiding time till Jesus comes to get us one day. That does, there's, there's no place for a Christian like that in the scripture. It doesn't condone that kind of lifestyle. Christians are supposed to be walking with the same anointing of Jesus because it's the same Jesus in us that walked the shores of Galilee. Say amen if you can see that. So we're talking about walking in newness of life. All right. So when does that happen? When does that life come? When we choose to walk with God each day, we start experiencing it. See, the reason you say, well, I don't really see that part. Well, it's because we're running with the wrong crowd. And if we'll start walking with Jesus, see back to our scripture, walk in newness of life. Should have underlined that word walk for you. If we're walking with him in newness of life, then we don't listen to that other crowd that says, well, you just never know what God's going to do or you can't do anything about that. And, you know, we, Susan, I run into people all the time. Well, you know, this is going on in my body and there's just no changing for that. Or this is going on in my finances. And, and a Christian will be sitting there right next to him. Yeah, I know. That's the way it is. You know, you and I ought to interrupt conversations like that. And you can do it in a loving way. I mean, you can do it in a way that people receive. Because you can say things in a way that people just push you off. I understand that. And, and I think we've persecuted a lot of people because they've said it in ways that reach people. 
And we think they ought to say it in a harsh way, but I think it's wise when people learn to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. And they can say things about the things of God without driving people away and causing those people to say, yeah, that's, I'm going to consider that. And we need to learn to do things like that, but the main thing is that we say it. Thank you for your enthusiasm tonight. Joyce Meyer said this, listen, powerful words. She said, no matter what happens to you in the past or what's going on in your life right now, it has no power to keep you from having an amazingly good future if you'll walk by faith in God. So walking with God then brings us into a whole new list of possibilities. Say amen. Walking with God is walking with a plan for life because you can bet he's got one. Most Christians don't have a plan, you know, just go through the day and go to bed. What's your plan? I don't know. Sometime when it gets dark, I'm going to bed tonight. But that's not the ploy that God wants us to plan out our days. If you'll walk with God, he'll have a plan for you. Now, I'm not, I'm not talking about you sit around trying to figure out a plan on your own, like I'm going to go and heal five people today and seven. You know. No, no, I mean, just say, Lord, I'm, I'm going to be your servant today. You can have it all, Lord. I'm submitting to you. And it's an exchange for power in my life by giving myself to you. If you walk with God, you're walking with a plan because he's got a plan. Two, two things. You ought to write these two things down. This is pretty powerful. Two things. Know that God has, number one, God has a plan for you and know it's a good plan. That's all. Just two things. God has a plan for me and it's a good plan. When you settle on that, you'll quit trying to make your own plan. I'm going to show you scripture on why you shouldn't. We plan out our days and it's, it gets us in trouble. But look, God has a plan. Look at this. Look on the screen again. Jeremiah 29, 11. This is the all familiar scripture. We all know it. We've quoted it. You've wrote it for people on graduations and everything else. But look at this up here, if you will, please. Jeremiah 29, 11. God says, I know the thoughts that I think towards you. It always blesses me when I think about God is thinking about me today. I just think that's a pretty big thing. Before I woke up, God already thought the day out. Of course, the Bible says that, you know, in the Psalms. It says that God has wrote our days in a book. If you just say, God, I didn't write a book about my days. You wrote a book, so tell me what I'm doing today. I'm just going to, it's kind of like saying this, and and this is not the best word, so let me correct it in a minute, but sometimes it's like saying, Lord, I'm just going to walk blindly today being led by you, knowing that you've got it all figured out. Now, there's nothing blind about it because he's our eyes, he's our seeing. Does this make sense to anybody? God's calling us to a higher life. So look at Jeremiah 29, 11 again. God says, I know the thoughts that I'm thinking towards you, saith the Lord. There's thoughts of peace, not of evil, to give you a what? An expected end. Well, look at this. Good News Testament says this. God says, I alone know the plans I have for you. Well, then we ought to spend time with him saying, God, I need to really know. I'm going to walk with you because you've got the plan for my life. I'm going to make sure I'm purposely on purpose walking with you today. He said, I know, I alone know the plans that I have for you. They're plans to bring you prosperity and not disaster. Plans to bring about the future that you hope for, God says. The kind of, I like to say it like this, to bring about the kind of future that you would like to have. Psalm 37 says, the steps of a good man, this is what happens to our life when we start walking with God. It says, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord and God delights in our ways. Think about your life being ordered. Lord, I'm not going to order my steps. I want you to order them for me. Now, do y'all mind me giving you these other translations on these verses? We're familiar with this in the King James, all of us. are. let's read it in unison together. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord and he delighteth in his way. Well, what is that little phrase at the end? He delighteth in his way. What's going on in the actual language there? The steps of a good man, one that's submitted to God, are actually ordered by the Lord. Now, steps are walking. We discussed that last week. So if I'm walking with God in newness of life, then that means I'm taking step after step. The word walk simply means to go and to come. 
you know, it's not a big thing, but to go and come with God all the time. Always be with God. The steps of a good man are ordered, already laid out for us by God, if we'll just find out what that is. Now, you understand, of course, if you're not walking with him, you're not going to recognize the steps. I'm going to show you that in just a minute. All right. Amplified Classic says the steps of a good man are directed and established by the Lord when he delights in his way, and he, God, busies himself with that man's every step. Mm-hmm. That's where the amen goes. Then look at that last phrase. God will actually busy himself with the person's every step. Do you know how... You know how a parent watches over, a, say, for example, a toddler, small child especially, and you just kind of govern their steps. I, I got tickled watching uh, John, Ezra and John Parker playing out that one video. Susan and I were watching. We were somewhere. And anyway, Avery, you know how you send those videos. And we're watching them play out in the yard. And, they, of course, they have a swimming, little swimming pool over here full of nice, clean water. But they're in the mud hole. You know, that's, that's the place to really play. Because Avery had the hose pipe running there. So it's a mud puddle. But, but little Ezra couldn't comprehend the fact that that mud puddle was deep. So he'd just run, you know, run and just, you know, he'd forget there was no bottom to it in, for his size. But, you know, when you're walking with a little kid like that, you're just kind of watching, brooding over there every step. Like, well, uh-huh, watch this now. That, now. Don't come this way. And that's what the Lord says. He will actually busy himself with mine and your every step when we say, okay, Lord, I'm going to follow the steps you've directed for me today. Now, it doesn't mean you've got to quit your job. Now, if he, if he directs you to do that, you better find out how to quit it. And he'll tell you to probably give a two-week notice too. But... Right? To do it right, right. above board. But I'm not talking about quitting your job. What I'm talking about is just you're on your job and you say, okay, Lord, it's break time. I'm going down to the water fountain down here. There's another water fountain down there I don't usually go to, but I just need to know where you want me to go today. And because you, you've got something going on for me. Now, where am I supposed to eat lunch today, Lord? At that table over there or this one over here? You know, where, yeah, that kind of thing. Lord, direct my step where I'm supposed to be. Go into Walmart on assignment. Bread, bread's just second. Right? What, what do you want me to do today? See, and then when you start putting that kind of a relationship, Lord, I'm walking with you. I'm going in here with you. I'm not, in fact, you know, I've done this a lot of times. I stop sometimes. I have done it to train myself. I'm not entering the store, be it the door of a store you're fixing to go into or some business or establishment. And I say, wait a minute now, before I walk in there, Lord, I want to go in there with the conscious thought that you and I are walking together. Because you might need me to go left when I plan on going right. You might need something done. One of your children or somebody needs something today. I want to be used to you. That's the newness of life. Because I've got what it takes, Lord. You're on the inside. All right? So it says the steps of a good man are directed and established by the Lord. And when he delights in his way, God will busy himself with that person's every step. That's powerful. The Amplified, that's Amplified Classic, you notice. The Amplified Version says the steps of a good and righteous man or woman are directed and established by the Lord, and God delights in His way and blesses that person's path. It all goes back to walking with God. Say, okay, Lord, I'm not taking this step until you tell me this is the direction today. This is what you want me to do. This is how you want me to minister. And then God starts blessing that pathway. Amen. And then finally, the message translation. I really like this one. It says stalwart. You know what a stalwart person is, one that's uh, loyal, reliable, right? Uh, the reliable person walks in step with God. Now, this, is, this sums up what we're talking about this night. The stalwart person, the, the uh, trustworthy person, walks in step with God. His path blazed by God. He's happy. I like that. That person or she. Come on, I got a lot of ladies in here tonight. She's happy, right? Oh, that's why I haven't been getting the amens. I keep using that he pronoun. That's why I'm going to go back with... All right. Her path... 
is blessed by God, this person is happy. If they stumble, he's not down for long because God has a grip on his hand. There's benefits for walking with God. Amen. So the only way then to walk successfully is to walk in God's plans. Genesis 3.8. Now, walking with God is not something new. I mean, this thing goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. It says, the Lord God, remember when Adam and Eve, they had just sinned in Genesis chapter 3, and God did like He always did, came walking in the cool of the day. The Lord God was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. What was He there? Listen, listen, I wrote down about five things here. I want you to listen, listen to this just real quick. What, did, what was God walking in the cool of the day? Of course, this is when I'm giving you the verse where they were hiding because they had sinned and they were afraid. You know the story. But why did God walk with man like this? Well, God created man for the enjoyment of a walking relationship. Just think about that. He wants to walk with you every day. And that's why he created man in the first place. And here's what it involved. Listen to this little list. Companionship. You know, this is big. Uh, I used to think this was big when, uh, and, and I still do. I mean, you know, but I'm, I'm not bragging. I'm just thinking, man, the opportunities that God's given me. I told you one time I was sitting in my office at the old building and the phone rang and it was Charles Capps. And uh, he said, hey, pastor, what you doing? I said, well, I'm just sitting here doing some office work. What are you doing? I didn't know what he would call for. He said, listen, I know you're probably busy. And uh, he said, but I'm flying into Birmingham. And he said, the pastor's not there. This was on Saturday, I believe it was, and whatever, the weekend, toward the weekend, might have been Friday. He said, the pastor's not there to pick me up. And he said, I, you know, I can get to the hotel, I can rent a car or something, but I just thought maybe you might want to pick me up and, and we'll go out to eat. I said, are you kidding? And... Uh, and before he could hang up, I was sitting at the runway going, <laughs> not really, but I mean, I'm, are you kidding? I'm on the way. Well, you know, Charles Counts wanting to hang out with you or, or have Mylon call. I, Mylon call and say, hey, what are you doing, brother? I said, well, I'm just doing that. He said, well, you want to hang out? Yeah, I want to hang out. Yeah, you know, what, what is, what's that about? See, to have somebody like that wanting to hang out, spend, God's wanting to hang out with you. See, he's wanting to have companionship. So this, this is the list. All right, here's why God walked with man and wants to walk with you today. It's for companionship, number one. Secondly, it's for dialogue. God loves to talk with people. Now, I'm not that good. I guess it's because I'm out of shape physically, but when Susan and I walk, I'm like this. I'm just, you know, I'm concentrating on one thing when I'm walking, breathing. And Susan's just, and I'm like, mm-hmm, yeah, 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 mm, I've got to learn sign language just to walk with her because I can't, you know. But God wants to walk with you, he wants to dialogue with you, talk with you. List goes on. Intimacy. That's why he wants to walk with you. Intimacy. Joint decision making. That's why he created man in the first place. You say, well, can't God make the decisions? Yeah, but he created man in his own image. So joint decision making could be. And he'll talk with you about things. I've had the Lord start out something talking to me like this. Now, James, what do you think about this? I thought, you know, I want to be like those guys in the Bible say, thou knowest, I don't know. Remember that, you know, that's kind of always a smart thing to do. But, but you know, I mean, sometimes God really wants to know, well, what do you think about this? What, what's your opinion on this? And I give him my opinion and he uses, well, that's, that's wrong. But, you know, here's, but he likes joint decision making. Another reason that God wants to walk with us is mutual delight. Just delighted to be with each other. And man, this is pretty awesome that he wants to hang out with you. Yes. Mutual delight. And, uh, and here's a big one. And this is probably what we're centering up on more than anything else on the list is shared dominion. Okay. Walk with God and just cast out devils like he cast out yes. devils. And yes. stop storms like he stops storms. And Amen. speak life like he does. And stop bad situations. 
Susan and I have been in situations where we'd see something going on that we knew was of the devil, and we just, you know, it wasn't our involvement, you know, maybe cross them all or something going on we saw was wrong. We just, we just take authority. I bind that spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. And all of a sudden, it just cooled down. Yeah. What is that? That's, that's God walking with us, and we're practicing shared dominion yeah, today, taking dominion over things that are going on. Brother Copeland talks about a time that he, was, he and uh, Gloria were driving down an interstate. You know, whatever the speed was, going down 65, 70 miles an hour down an interstate. And all of a sudden, they saw a car in front of them uh, begin to just about flip over. You know, get in that, just like that. I don't know what car stopped in front or what happened, clipped something. I don't know what happened. But they're just about flip over. And Gloria's first response was, in the name of Jesus, get back down there. And so that car was almost like this. And then all of just come back down and kept going. And that person probably thought, oh, I thought that was worse than it was. And, and it really was worse than it was. But she didn't know there was a person behind them that had dominion. What's Gloria doing? She's walking in dominion with God, shared dominion with him. And that's what God wants to do with us all the time. It's companionship, dialogue, intimacy, joint decision-making, mutual delight, shared dominion. An interesting thing now, jot, jot this scripture down, Genesis chapter 5. Don't turn there because I've got it on the screen. Genesis chapter 5, verse 22 through 24. Genesis 5, 22 and 24, and then I'll make this statement. Enoch, in the scripture, was the first man to uncover what a delight it was to walk with God. From Adam. Now, once Adam sinned, it, the understanding was nobody walked with God. There was a time people weren't even seeking God. You can find that in the fourth chapter. But then when you get to this fifth chapter, look, look what it says about him. Enoch walked with God. you remember? That? And this is really all it says about him. Now, it, this, he was also the daddy of Methuselah. That's pretty cool. But Enoch walked with God after he begat Methuselah 300 years. He walked with God for 300 years. He begat more sons and daughters. And all the days of Enoch were 365 years. And Enoch walked with God and he was not, for God took him. And that's all the scripture says about this Enoch until you get to the New Testament. Basically, it says all about him is that he walked with God. What does that mean? Well, it was, it, was, it was a standout thing because people weren't walking with God. So you go back to the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve walked with God in the cool of the day. Adam and Eve sinned. They got put out of the garden. They would walk by the garden with now their little boys. Got Cain and Abel. And Daddy, what's that over there? Well, that's the garden where your mama ate us out of house and home. We, you know, and so, you know, we just... Well, I'm, I'm saying that as a joke, but think about it. Can you imagine seeing the garden where you used to live... And now you can't even go in. And so Adam, you got to understand, Adam didn't die before all these people in these generations were born. Adam was still living, talking to people. He was an old man. He lived to be 900 and plus years old. And so he's talking to people. And so Enoch got to sit at his feet and say, great, 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 great grandpa Adam, what was it like in the garden? Well, we walked with God. What does that mean? Well, son, nobody was doing it. Nobody had done it. And Enoch got excited, no doubt, learning from his great-great-great-great-grandfather, Adam. And he said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it. Wow. If I can't go in the garden there and experience that, I'm going to do my best to experience it out here, whichever generation should have been. And he started, and it became, that's, and it was a big deal that God said, Enoch walked with God. And that's all it said about him. Then we get to the New Testament. Look at this now, Hebrews 11:5. Just jot it down. Hebrews 11, 5. It talks about it. It was such a big deal that he walked with God that it was put in the New Testament. And look what it says. By faith, we know he did it by faith now. By faith, Enoch was translated. Remember, he was not, for God took him. You remember that's what it said at the end of the verse down here? He was not. He walked with God. 
until God just took him. Now that's rapture. He didn't die. Friend of mine, Hughie Holyfield, used to say it like this. He just got in the habit of walking with God, walking with God, and every day for three hundred years he walked with God. And then he, you know, and one day, yeah, Hughie said one day what happened was no doubt that they were walking, and God said, you know, Enoch said we're actually closer to my house than yours. Won't you just go home with me tonight? And Enoch said, yeah. Well, somebody pointed out to me one time, I don't know who it was, but and Reggie, I think it was you when, in 2009 when we were talking about Christ in you, I remember saying like you said this to me, is maybe where God took him was to the garden, which was now translated, basically translated in heaven or paradise. But he didn't die to get there. God just translated him, raptured him, if you will, and took him right into there, what he was so hungry for. Because, I mean, what you, 300 years of walking with God, what do you suppose Enoch talked to him about? Yeah. What do you think he talked to God about? What did he talk to him about? What Adam had said to him, I want to know about the garden. I want to know that. And I just think probably after 300 years, God said, look, look, why don't I just show you? You want this really bad. Come on. Well, if he could get that, and it was such a big deal, God put it in the New Testament, our Testament, then reckon what we might get from talking with God. Lord, you know, it, just as, as Enoch talked with God about what it was like in the garden. What if we talked about, Lord, what was it like when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead? What was it like? I mean, I told you the story and I won't go into it tonight, but I had the Lord show me one time what it was like to raise, when Jesus raised Jairus' daughter from the dead, took me in a vision from a barber chair. I'm sitting in a barber chair and and all of a sudden I thought, this is weird. I heard Susan, (laughs) Susan the barber, the barber's cutting my hair. And uh, she's cutting away, and Susan was standing back there talking to her, the lady cutting my hair, and they were just talking about it, just like I was talking about a while ago. Da, 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 da. And I'm just sitting there, you know how you close your eyes, and all of a sudden, I noticed they were getting softer and softer, and, and I opened my eyes, and I was standing on a dirt street in Capernaum, and I saw Jairus' house, and Jesus walked me in there, and I went through, I'm not going to go through it with you tonight, but I saw, I saw Jesus raise Jairus' daughter from the dead in that vision. Amen. And it was so alarming. Then, then the next, after it was all over, I, I come back to it and I could hear them talking and the lady was finishing up my hair. And I was so overwhelmed by it. We left, paid the lady and left. And I asked Susan when I got outside, I said, Susan, I, I said, you drive. And she got over to drive and, and she, I sat over and I said, she got it after she got in. I said, um, did I go anywhere while that girl was cutting? I forgot her name was Misty, I think. I said, Were you, did I go anywhere while she was cutting my hair? She said, what? I said, did I leave the chair and go anywhere? Because in my mind, I was gone. Well, my point is, why did God show me that? Well, one reason, because I'm hungry for things like that. I want to know. But if you could walk with God like Enoch did, and God opened up some things to you, it was so so powerful what he showed him, he never came back home. Enoch never came back. And this same thing happened now. But watch what it says now. This is only two references about Enoch in the Scripture other than... Well, I'll show you another one later. But Enoch walked with God after he begat Methuselah. Three, well, I'm in the wrong scripture. Excuse me. Hebrews 11, 5. Look up here. By faith, Enoch was translated, raptured, that he would not see death, should not see death. And he was not found because God had translated him or raptured him. But watch this last phrase. For before his translation, before his rapture, he had this testimony. This is what was said about him. And we read it. It's the only thing said about him. This was his testimony that he pleased God. Wait a minute, I thought it says in Genesis that he walked with God. It doesn't say he pleased God, but see, that's what walking with God is. It's so pleasing to him that God, in the walk. What pleases God when you want to hang out with him? You want to spend time with him and he wants to spend time with you and you take the invitation and say, Lord, I'm going to work today like I have to do, but I'm telling you, this whole day is going to be me and you walking together. And you start spending your day like that, 
That's pleasing to God. And the rapture comes. You know what? I believe this is why we're preaching this tonight is because Father needs this to be the revelation of the end time church because this is the same way our resurrection is going to happen. This is the same way the rapture of the church is going to happen. There's going to be a generation that will never see death. We're going to walk with God so closely and so powerfully and have so much power and resurrection strength going on that one day God's just going to say to the church, come on, we're going home. And when we do, that's the rapture. And we won't be able to be found either. But it's going to come because we walk with God. That's what's got to be in the last days. Church is a church that will walk with God. Say amen if you can see that. So he had the reputation that he pleased God. That's what walking with God is. And he was raptured. Listen to it in the translation. Let's see, Hebrews eleven six says, Without faith it's impossible to please God. Of course, we know he did it by faith. But look at this verse. Now, I'm going back to this Hebrews. By faith, Enoch walked with God and, and he was translated rather and he pleased God. Listen to this in the Passion Translation. You ready for this? It says, faith lifted Enoch from this life and he was taken up into heaven. Well, let's think about you and I being just taken on to a new level. Faith lifted us up from this life and we were taken into a new level of heaven. Enoch never had to experience death. He just disappeared from the world because God had promoted him. Well, my point I want to make to you, and this is all kind of powerful, but Promotion comes from walking with God. Christians don't get promoted too much walking after their own strengths and their own energies and their own ideas. But promotion comes. So God promoted him. But now watch how it says it in the last. For before he was translated to the heavenly realm, his life had become a pleasure to God. Walking with God makes you a pleasure to God. And we're to walk with Jesus just this way. And, And this is powerful. Turn to Jeremiah chapter 10. When you found it, let me know. Jeremiah chapter 10. Praise God. If we're to walk with God, mm-hmm. big time walk with God, and walk with newness of life, that's our foundational scripture we started out in, mm-hmm. then we have to be encouraged tonight to say, okay, if there's resurrection power to lift me out of this dead way of living, right. dead way of living is when we Christians, spiritual Christians, live like the rest of the world. Right. You know, when I'm just as drab and just as discouraged and no, no, no aimless in our life about today and, you know, no real relationship with God. Don't have any expectation of God. Now, so what are we saying? Well, we're not this way. We're created in the, let's don't just say created. We've been recreated in the image and likeness. That's the new birth, the new birth. We've been recreated in the image. You know, it's a powerful verse over in 2 Corinthians 5 where it's talking about we are new creatures in Christ Jesus. Old things are passed away and all things become of God. And then he says, God, I, I got to show you this. I know you know it, but it's just one we hadn't looked at in a long time. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, just for a minute. And let's look at what he did for us. It's a word called reconciled. So let's wake up to the fact that we've been reconciled to him. Tell me when you found 2 Corinthians 5. And look at verse 17, just so you can kind of orientate yourself as to what we're talking about. Tell me when you're there, verse 17. All right, look at it. It says, therefore, I know I got you in uh, Jeremiah, but we'll go there in just a minute, Lord willing. Verse 17 says, therefore, if any person be in Christ, he is a new creature. Now, if you act old, it's because you've forgotten that you're a new creature. Now, now, see, there's a scripture. Hold your place there and go to Peter just for a minute. Look at 2 Peter. I'll show you how you can forget things. And there's other scriptures. This is not the only one. But turn to 2 Peter chapter 1. Real quick. We'll do it real quickly. I apologize for time. But uh, we'll get this before we go. 
Start with verse 8, and he's got it, he just has given a big list. This is chapter, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 8. And he's just given a real big list of, um, of things that we're supposed to add to our faith, virtue and knowledge and so on. That's in verse 5 and 6 and so on, godliness. He gets down to verse 8 and says, But if, any, if these things be in you and abound, they make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, your life's going to have results of a living Christ in you. But, verse 9 says, but if you lack these things, it's because you're blind, spiritually speaking, and cannot see afar off, and you've forgotten something. You've forgotten that you were purged from your old sins, and that you're a new creature. So you now go back to this 2 Corinthians chapter 5. You forget about this sometimes, new birth, and you just, we live our lives like other people live, and we're not supposed to. We got resurrection power. This word reconciles what I want to get you to, but let's start again with verse 17. Have you got it now? Second Corinthians 5, 17. All right. Therefore, if any man, any person be in Christ, any man or woman be in Christ, they're a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new and all things are of God. That's whatever you're battling physically are gone. Whatever you've been battling financially is gone. Everything's new. Everything is of God. Keep reading verse 18. Who has reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, circle the world is the word reconciled. If you're taking notes, write down reconciled. I want to give you a definition to it. Most of you know and remember this. The word reconciled means restored back to the divine. It gives the idea of taking an old junker car, a classic we'll say, but it's just an old junker and it's just, just all ruined and rusted out and the, this is broken and the carpet's messed up. And then you take that thing into the repair shop with a master craftsman that knows how to do this, and then you restore that car, and it looks like it just rolled off the showroom floor. Amen. Amen. You see? That's what he's done to our life. The devil took you out of the garden, man, rode you hard and put you up wet, and you're all rusted out and ruined, and then Jesus took your life, restored you, and you look like you just rolled out of the Garden of Eden. Yes, So, Paul says, so walk in newness of life. You got resurrection power in you. Why are you doing this, brother? I think this ought to change the expression on your face. You got resurrection power in you. So come alive in Jesus. That's why I said to you Sunday, when you go out, you ought to lift the crown of your head up to the sky and say, I've got a new thought about this day. Because I got resurrection life living on the inside of me. I've got an expectation of power. Amen. Come alive in Jesus with everything in you. Be reconciled. Jesus affects that power. Now, did you find the book of Jeremiah? You still got it as well? All right, let me get over there with you because I didn't write this one down. Jeremiah chapter 10. Look at verses. Now, we're talking about walking with God. Steps of a good man are ordered of the Lord, right? Now, look what he says in this 23rd verse. He said, this is Jeremiah talking to the Lord. Oh, Lord, I know that the way of man is not in himself. It's not in man that walketh to direct his own steps. There is not a man alive on this planet that has the ability to direct his own life without God. You can't do it. I don't care how successful he looks. You know, I, I ran across, I told Susan, I put it like this, I stumbled across a, uh, a man last night on, on a video 
that was a billionaire, multi-billionaire. I, I thought, man, that's pretty encouraging. You know, I thought I've never seen him, never heard his name. And he was being interviewed, and I thought, I'll just listen to something. You know, and, and things he was saying was pretty powerful. And he'd get emotional telling. Now, this is a multi-billionaire man at that time. This, I think this was done in 2012. And he was well into his 70s, maybe near 80. Couldn't tell, but very dignified. He dressed British and uh, multi-billionaire. And I thought, man, this is pretty good. And he said, this happened if it wasn't for the grace of God. I thought, oh, he's talking about God. This is pretty good. And then a little bit later, he said something else. You know, he said, and I thank God, Buddha, and everybody else. But I thought, well, no way. See. Now, here's a multi-billionaire. But see, the one thing about him, he had a lot of good wisdom. And I thought, man, this is powerful. And the more I learned about him, I saw how far away from God he was. But he's a miserable man. They had to bleep out most of the words that he used because he, when he would refer to his people that were listening to him in this interview group that was there, and he would use language and, and he was just miserable and, and, and yet he worked, I'm going to say it like this, this is something for you to think about. He worked God's success principles and became a multi-billionaire, but he's miserable because he don't know how to give the credit to God. He don't want to give it to Allah, Buddha, he said, I don't know, you know, whatever, whoever God is. He believes there's a God out there, but he doesn't know him. Now, that's Romans chapter 1. Yes. You know God, but you don't credit Him as God. Right. You know what I'm saying? You know, you know there is a God, but you don't give Him the credit, and you worship the creation more than Christ. That's Romans chapter 1. But He's a miserable man. I don't care how many billions you got, you're still going to be miserable. That's why happiness don't come from money. Happiness comes from God. Yes. But God is, will happily give you plenty of money if you can believe Him for it. But the idea is you have to give Him the credit for it. Yes. Otherwise, you're just miserable. I don't care how much money you have. Amen. It doesn't matter. Amen. And so it's not inside of man to make up his own plan. Right. It just isn't there. And, and, isn't that interesting? Let me read it to you out of another translation because some of you are looking a little blind at it. But this is, uh, go ahead and read the 24th verse. Let's read it again. 23. Lord, I know that the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man that walketh to direct his own steps. O Lord, so he says, O Lord, so correct me. Yes. Underline that part, verse 24. Lord, correct me. In other words, I need your correction. It's not in me. It is not in me to do it on my own. I've got to walk with you. You've got to do it. Lord, correct. Give me correction. Can you see that? Yes. Now, look up here on the screen at this in the message translation. He said, I know God that mere... I know this God. In other words, he's talking to God. I know God that mere mortals can't run their own lives. Can't be done. That men and women don't have what it takes to take charge of life. So correct us, God, as you see best. The Good News Version says, O Lord, I know that the way of man is not in himself, neither is it in man to walk and to direct his own steps. So we can see now. A voice translation. O Eternal One, I know our lives are in your hands. It's not in us to direct our own steps. We need you. See, that's, the, that's where it's that cry for correction. We need you. We've got to have you to direct our steps. Amen, if you can see all of that. Now, this, let's close with this idea and turn one more scripture. If you'll just turn to Galatians chapter 2 and we'll close. And I go back to that song we sang tonight in worship. You can have it all, Lord. A Christian that reserves any part of themselves for, their, for themselves is a place that God can't have. Now, there's other scriptures. I'm not going to put them up on the screen. But, you know, Jesus says, come to me all that are laboring. I'm reading another translation. Come to me all who are weary and burdened and I'll give you rest. One, the Passion Translation there, Jesus said, Are you weary? Are you carrying a heavy, heavy burden? Then come to me. I'll refresh your life, for I'm your oasis. This is Matthew 11 I'm reading. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me, all who are laboring and heavy laden. God says, I'm your oasis. 
Romans 12. Now, you know how we're always quoting, not, not on, I'm just talking now for a minute, but Romans 12, 2, we always quote it, be not conformed to this world, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We don't spend as much time on that first verse, though we should, and in that first verse it says, present your bodies a living sacrifice to God. And I tried to get a better understanding of that some years ago. I said, Lord, what do you mean a living sacrifice? Not a sacrifice where we kill ourselves. He didn't say, you know, because everybody says, I need to die to myself. Well, he didn't say go die. He said live. Give, give God a living sacrifice. I said, Lord, what does that mean? He said, now this is for James. This may not fit your thinking on this. This just helped me understand what he was saying to me. Present your bodies a living sacrifice. I said, Lord, what does that mean? He said, be my puppet. Because see, that was when he was dealing with me over the glove and the hand in the glove. Amen. God is the hand inside of the glove. The glove can't move without the hand. God says, let me put my hand in you and direct your life. Mm. See, from the inside, in other words. Yes. You be my puppet. Do what yes. I want you to do. Be a living sacrifice. Yes. Amen. Lord, here's a living man. Here's me today. Here's a living man today. What do you need somebody to do today? Yes. Amen. Amen. I can be that man. Amen. Well, that's what Paul got a revelation of in Galatians 2. And this will be our last scripture. Galatians chapter 2, and I, and I told you it was this, what are they, I don't know the word, what do they call it, that uh, epitome moment, or what is that, where they have that epiphany, say that louder for me, epiphany. epiphany, that epiphany, where they just all of a sudden, it just dawns on you, like you realize, oh wow, and it's a breakthrough moment in your life. Well, this is what Paul had, because he always saw, him, saw Jesus hanging on that cross, but he looked at one point, and he saw himself hanging there, and that's why in the book of Galatians, just before you get to chapter 2, look at verse one, chapter 1 just for a minute, Galatians 1. Verse 15 and 16, Paul says when he's talking to the church at Galatia, he said, When it pleased God, it pleased Him, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by His grace to reveal His Son in me. Yes. Not reveal His Son to me. Right. See, we hear people preach that, said God revealed His Son, Jesus, to Paul. That's not what He said. He said He revealed His Son was in me. Right. He said, because when I looked on the cross, I realized that was me hanging there. That was me and Jesus and Jesus in me. You know, when you, when you talk about growing up, you, you've heard people say, you've got to know who you are in Christ. you heard phrases like that. You've got to know who, who you are in Christ. And sometimes you say who Christ is in you. Well, which is right? Christ in you or you in Christ? Both. You have to have a combination of both. That means you are intermingled one with another. You can't, you don't know. I mean, when our lives, I say it like this, when God looks at our lives, He can't see where Jesus ends and you begin or you begin and Jesus ends because we're one with Him. Now, if we're not seeing our lives through God's eyes, we see our life and Jesus is out there somewhere as a separate, but there's a seamless relationship that we carry of Jesus. And so Paul made this statement. He said, therefore, I'm crucified. Verse 20. I, this is chapter 220. Are you there? Paul said, I'm crucified with Christ. I died with him. Crucified, that'd be the same thing as saying, I went to the electric chair with Christ. Well, electric chair, that means you died. Oh yeah, you better believe it. He said, I'm dead with Christ. That's what that word crucified means. That's not a pretty word. Uh, people wear crosses around their neck or earrings or, or put it on pictures. Nothing wrong with that. Or a cross hanging in your house. It's a very ugly thing in the sense of what it represents. It'd be like putting an electric chair on your wall or a gas chamber, you know, or something like that. But the reason we enjoy the cross is because the most ugliest thing, that place of death, is the most beautiful act of love ever committed. That somebody went on that cross for me. That's why we, that's why we display, the, display the cross. Is because it's, it doesn't mean death to us. It means more than that. It means love to us that somebody would die for me. But Paul had this revelation so deep. He said, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, it's I that live. Never, see, look at the word nevertheless. Nevertheless, 
I'm died with him, but yet I'm alive. This is overwhelming when he learned this. He said, I'm crucified with Christ. I'm dead with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet it's really not I living. It's Christ living in me. And me who's dead has a life that I now live. Can you see how he's going back and forth? I know we haven't done this in a long time, but look up here. Just let's get it before we go on. Paul said, now here's dead, okay? Here's dead. And here's alive. Okay, Paul's walking around one day thinking he's alive. And he says, when I saw Jesus on that, I realized he revealed his son to me that I was in Christ when he died. So he said, I'm a dead man. I was crucified with Christ. But nevertheless, I live. Yes. But it's not me living. <laughs> it's Christ living in me. Yes. And the life I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And then Paul adds, I'm not going, he said, that's grace. And I won't frustrate that. I'm not going to listen to your rules and I'm not going to listen to your, what you think about it. And Paul made this statement. Y'all, y'all come on, this would be fun if y'all would have fun with me. This is a powerful message. When, okay, let's get it in. Verse 20. I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet it's not me living. It's Christ living in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So what did, what did Paul say? I've come alive in him. I, I'm alive in him. I'm letting him do whatever he wants to because, see, I don't have to worry about laying hands. If I'm going to lay hands on the sick to pray for them, I, I don't have to worry about, well, something happened. This is Jesus' right. hand. That's right. Yes. Amen. That was, Paul had a revelation. I put my hand. That's not my hand. That's God living That's in right. me. Amen. Of course, I believe that. Blinded eye, it don't matter to me. We pray and believe God for anything. It's not me that does it. It's Christ doing it through me. And then the next verse 21, he says, I'm not going to frustrate that. I do not frustrate the grace of God. For if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. I'm not going to let him be dead in vain. If he did that for me and I died in him and he died in me, I'm just going to live it and enjoy every minute of it. I'm coming alive in Christ. Yes, amen. Live my life like that. And, and you know, look, look at this, just to close real quickly, but look at the last chapter of Galatians. Galatians is a powerful book. Powerful book about our redemption and our righteousness in him and so on. And because uh, it was a book that he was really writing to the church at Galatia to straighten them out, how they had backslid over some, uh, got away from faith, you know. But listen, this in uh, the last chapter, chapter six, and look at the, I'll start with verse 15. For in Christ Jesus, who's in Christ Jesus? Paul's in him and Jesus is in Paul, right? For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision counts as anything nor uncircumcision. The only thing that counts with God is a new creature in Christ Jesus. That's the only thing that counts with God. He said, I'm not going to frustrate. We just read where he said, I'm not going to frustrate that. And verse 16, and as many as walk according to this rule, that you're a new creature in Christ Jesus, peace will be on you. Mercy upon the Israel of God. And from now on, he said, verse 17, this is so funny to me. He said, from henceforth, let no man trouble me. He said, for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord. In other words, listen, this is the way. Now, I'm closing. Look at this. He says, this is so big to me. He says, I have gotten this revelation. Jesus showed me that he died for me as me, and I can live as him on this planet. And he said, I'm not going to let anything frustrate that. And he says, don't anybody trouble me. So you can speak to the hand but because the preacher ain't listening. He said, I, I am not being moved by that. God lives in me, and that's just the way it is. New creature in Christ, bottom line. I'm not who I used to be. I'm Christ That's right. Amen. living a life through Amen. a man. Amen. So, so stand up with me. So as I said, come alive in him. I, I'm going to say that. Maybe you'll go home with that idea two or three times in your spirit. Come alive inside of Jesus. Come alive to yourself, to who he's made you. Get, a, get an idea that tomorrow, tonight, 
is a bigger day than what anyone could ever imagine. Father, I thank you for this crowd. Thank you. Then. Oh, I'll say that. When you surrender, totally surrender your life and your way making to his life and his way making, then you start drawing on his life, his resurrection power. You draw on his enthusiasm. You draw on his, the enthusiasm means just be passionate about something. And he said, I'd rather you be cold or hot, not lukewarm. And so he said, I will experience, we draw on his life, his enthusiasm, his strength, his healing anointing, everything in him, the more we surrender our lives over to him. We thank you for it, Father, in Jesus' name.